Welcome to this episode of the Knowledge Institute, where we talk with experts on business trends, deconstruct main ideas, and share their insights. The information and views set out in this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect the official opinion of their organizations. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Tina Nuvenen, Lead for Education at the United Nations Technology Innovation Lab. We're talking today on disruptive learning and its impact on our people and the planet. Welcome, Tina. Thanks so much, Jeff, for having me. I'm really excited to be talking to you today. Before we dive in, maybe tell a little bit about yourself and uh, your story. Oh, thank you so much. Um, we spoke a little bit earlier, and I think it's fantastic that we share one thing. We both grew up at a farm, um, and I think that's a perfect environment for, for a child to, to uh, explore and, and learn through play. And um, this is one of the things that I think has been forgotten by formal education systems, that children learn by playing and, and there's less and less um, free playtime and unsupervised playtime and I'm really glad that we got to enjoy that. I think since I was a kid I was explorer <laughs> and um, I wanted to always always go um, to places where I haven't been and learn things I, I didn't know about and I think I'm still on that journey, um, that lifelong learning journey. When I started my studies I, I'm actually a sociologist by training um, but I've always been interested in technology and how technology is shaping societies and, and uh, opportunities for individuals as well. And I think that's how I kind of ended up in this role as well. Um, and it's quite funny that we are in Finland, um, in Otaniemi. Um, and this is the place where I started about 20 years ago, working for Helsinki Institute for Information Technology. And I was the only sociologist between, like, amongst the engineers and um, uh, technical people. And this was also uh, kind of alien territory for sociologists, but um, I also discovered that when you associate with people who are not from your field, you learn so much. And, um, and that's a fantastic thing that I, I'm still trying to achieve in this role, like bringing people from different disciplines together. After you left Finland, did you go in the U.S. for some time? I didn't go to U.S. I did my um, my uh, studies, university studies in in um, uh, U.K. Then I did my masters here in Helsinki. But um, I also lived in the U.S. actually before uh, coming back to to um, uh, until uh, United Nations Technology Innovation Lab. We call it until um, in Helsinki. And before that, I was in New York working for uh, UNESCO. Um, which is the United Nations um, specialized organization uh, and the lead organization in education as well. Um, and I was working as an innovation focal point for UNESCO in New York, so I got to spend some time in, in New York as well and in America. And before that, I was in, in East Africa, also working for UNESCO um, on um, um, kind of managing the innovation portfolio in, in education. But I haven't been with UN uh, for that long. I, I started in 2015, and before that, I, I worked in innovation consulting. And, and in this current role, I'm kind of trying to bring together all those things, like being a sociologist, understanding how people behave and kind of behavioral science point of views and combining that understanding of people with understanding of technology and the opportunities of technology um, and then combining that with the whole UN agenda, the Sustainable Development Goals agenda and, uh, and in this framework forging new partnerships with players like Infosys, like yourselves. Yeah, wow. I think this it, is to give a context. Well, it's a fantastic <laughs> context because I couldn't imagine if they had a mold and they created someone perfect for this role 
uh, it couldn't be any more perfect than you because you've got the sociologist background, you've got the UN itself background with UNESCO, and you've got technology. So you know, this free range chicken from a farm as well. <laughs> That's so right. that That's helps. Right. <laughs> Exploring and resilience. This United Nations Technology Innovation Lab, which is a mouthful, so we might use the acronym until. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. We're we kind of too used to those acronyms in UN context, so we forget that uh, it's not ideal. This idea of a lab, and we're, we're now here in beautiful Helsinki. Uh, your lab is based here, and it's on sustainable development goal number four, mm-hmm. which That's is right. edu- education. Yes. Or learning. We'll get that in a minute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> why, what do you, why do you think the lab was, is based here? First of all, can I just say that we are actually a global network, Mm -hmm. the Until Labs, um, and we are headquartered in New York, and we are institutionally under the UN Secretary General or or UN Secretariat. There is an Office for Information and Communication Technology that used to cater traditionally the UN agencies uh, internally, but Until is kind of an interface of OACT with the outside world. So we want to engage with the innovators um, and bring that expertise to the UN and, and also see how, um, how the innovation happening in different sectors can be uh, used to advance the Sustainable Development Goals agenda across different verticals. We have this lab in Helsinki and that's the first, uh, first of the UNTIL labs. And here we are focusing uh, besides education to health, uh, circular economy and peace and security. And then we have also other labs in India. Uh, there's one uh, currently, but there will be more. Then we have a lab in Egypt as well and Malaysia. Uh, and we will have more um, opening in the near future um, in uh, Rwanda, most likely, and um, Mauritius as well. So the feasibility studies are ongoing there. So we try to work as a global network, not, not just in Finland. Of course, like Finland um, has a good reputation in education. And actually, our host countries, they, they get to say what are the verticals the labs will be focusing on. But we try to work on global projects and engage with the different labs and not just the until uh, United Nations Technology Innovation Labs alone, but also with the whole UN ecosystem. And um, we have the mandate in tech and frontier tech specifically and um, then we work with other UN agencies who have uh, substance mandates in different topics but um, I think that big part of our work is to really engage with the private sector with the innovators so we like to think um, um, our innovation process uh, through four different roles so we have the innovators and these can be innovation platforms like cities or universities or then they can be private sector companies or startups but this is where the where the creation of new magical things happens and then we try to combine the inventors with the transformers and transformers can be uh, governments or countries or UN entities who have the power to influence policies and and really drive um, large scale transformation through that but then they could be also uh, entities like Infosys, industry leaders, um, big companies who set the standards for for different industries and then uh, we have financiers as well and we try to also um, work in innovative finance to to ensure that um, resources are also directed to development and to support the development agenda not just to develop products for private sector or consumers in the developed markets. 
Um, and, and then our role is to bring this all together, to be a broker. So we try to be a broker of tech and innovation solutions to the UN system. This is how we're trying to operate. And it's early days for us. So we're still exploring and kind of developing our offering to different stakeholders. And um, it's really exciting to be part of this, this journey from Can the beginning. Do save the world? I'm kidding, uh, <laughs> quite literally. You know, I think we should try and everybody yes, yes. should try. <laughs> well, I, I say that because, uh, being serious for a second, there are those that sometimes say, well, the UN, you know, they don't really get anything done. I see these big rooms where hundreds of people, you know, meet. What are you doing to make this real and to make a real impact? That's a good question. And, and um, having worked with UN for a long time, I know it can feel sometimes really frustrating as well. There's a lot of talking and not enough doing. Um, but there's also some fantastic programs ongoing at the field. So it really depends if you, as what, at what level you associate with the UN as well, whether you see the action in the field or you, you're in New York with the headquarters. But that's also very, it's very different perspective to the UN and it takes a while to actually understand how the UN works as well. It's so, it's so big and the work happens at so many different levels. And I think it's also beautiful when you go to places like General Assembly in New York and you have the decision makers, the leaders from the whole world um, come together and uh, build a consensus on what kind of future, what kind of world they want to build. And then they come up with this vision. And then we, as a part of uh, UN and, and different entities of UN, we try to support that agenda and we try to support the member countries and uh, through, through different interventions. And um, how we do it at Antil, um, as said, the private sector, the innovators have a big role in this, specifically um, tech innovators, the people who are using tech to build a better world or the people who have amazing tech solutions but maybe they haven't realized yet what kind of impact potentially could have in, in a certain uh, development context or, or in relation to certain uh, development issues. Let's say for instance um, illiteracy or like um, improving the quality of education. There are huge issues globally right now like if we think about quality of education for instance um, almost half of the uh, children going through uh, K-12 education, they still don't have the minimum literacy and, and numeracy levels. So this is really shocking. And it's not just developing countries, but OECD countries as well. So we have a huge quality problem there. And there's so much technology can do. And our role is to engage with the private sector partners who have the solutions and, and then uh, connect with the developing countries or the countries with the needs and develop concrete products and programs to address those, those issues directly. And that's one of the reasons why, Tina, I wanted to have you on, because I think that it is a misconception sometimes about bureaucracy at the UN. And there's some great work, and I think some of the problem with the UN often is in communications, getting the word out about the work, because people do want to help. So hopefully with, with Until, with Innovation Labs, we can do that. And especially with um, Secretary General's recognition that this digitization technology, it's so important to connect so the people aren't left behind, yes. entire societies. And I think that's something that the rest of this discussion would like to get a little more into. I know you're pretty passionate about use of words, and uh, I mentioned education before, and you were saying, no, 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 no. So what should we use instead? 
Thanks for that. I um, first of all, like li the leaving no one uh, behind agenda. I think this is what brings the whole world together and the whole UN together. And also, when the member countries discussed about these kind of specific wordings, leaving no one behind was the kind of key element of the whole um, 2030 agenda, the Sustainable Goals agenda. So um, I'm glad you mentioned that. Everybody at the UN loves that. <laughs> so uh, thanks for that. And um, to realize the leaving no one behind agenda, we need radical in, uh, innovation. We have already seen that we are not on track in reaching the Sustainable Development Goals. And education is no exception. Uh, we are we are behind, so we really need further uh, commitments. And to really get somewhere, we can't use the old uh, old recipes and old ways of learning. We really have to disrupt the system. And key thing in this is to rethink the concepts, kind of deconstruct the key concepts in education. And well, now it's now I said it again, education. So when I when I mention education, what do you what does it bring to your mind? Rigor, structure, there is a definite process from going from the beginning to then in the end you're educated. Yes. So it's the education system yes. and this is the systems view. I think we should really move from the systems view to a more individualistic view. How do we empower every learner on this planet depending on where they are and what they're good at? Uh, to realize their full potential. I think this is the key shift to kind of move from uh, systems point of view to individual, um, how we support individuals point of view. And um, technology has great potential in this. And instead of education, I think we should talk about learning and learners because it kind of supports your mental shift. <laughs> so uh, you don't just think about the school and formal education system, but really um, the learning journeys of um, of people who are we all different. We all different. We learn differently. Uh, we are good at different things, which is a beautiful thing. But I think the whole learning um, support system should be built around this notion. How do we really support the individual capacities? Once again, you are listening to the Knowledge Institute, where we talk with experts on business trends, deconstruct main ideas, and share their insights. We're here with Tina Nivenen, Lead for Education at the United Nations Technology Innovation Lab. We're talking today on saving the world through disruptive learning. Tina, you'd mentioned learning, not education, or at least that's the, the new form of that. This is early days for your, your lab. Uh, what have you done so far and what are your plans? We are currently um, working on our um, innovation model, so we, how we want to work with partners uh, and also with the strategies for different verticals and um, uh, kind of really tapping into the innovation ecosystem in, in different verticals we work on. As a first step, we're trying to build partnerships. This is also SDG 17. Um, so to really uh, play this role as a broker, which I mentioned earlier, uh, we have to uh, connect with all these uh, different stakeholders in the field. So we are trying to find right. the... As you're going through this, yeah. a lot of our listeners, they're also in businesses where they don't mm -hmm. necessarily manage directly. They have to develop consensus or at least partnerships. Yeah. What have you learned by having developed partnerships across such diversity that maybe others might be able to take away? That's a very good question. I think uh, usually uh, the more pragmatic you are, um, the faster you get moving. So um, the really key thing for us to identify a real need, the real development need, and um, to evaluate 
different solutions to that. So we can really evaluate like whether uh, a project we are planning has real impact potential or not, like if it's worth doing or not. Because um, there's a world of opportunities, but you only have very little resources. So we try to focus on projects that have high impact potential and we are developing kind of metrics to um, work with the partners to kind of identify early on if there's commitment from both sides to really uh, work on something that has high impact. And sometimes when you work with the private sector as well, um, it just could be that you just don't share the same level of aspirations and then it's good to cut it short. And so shared purpose, shared, <laughs> shared vision. Yeah, I think kind of building that shared vision from really early on so you really know um, what you want to achieve, have this shared vision. And I, I think an innovation project as well is very important because you have to be also able to kill projects really early on <laughs> if you feel like they are not going to um, contribute to the to the goal um, that uh, or, or where you want to go. So I think that's, that's one thing. And we're also trying to kind of develop screening mechanisms so we can identify partners at different technology maturity levels. Well, Teo, why don't you give an example of uh, maybe one of your technology partners, you know, some kind of educational content that you found to be, to be good so far? Um, actually, this morning we just signed a letter of intent, kind of partnership agreement with uh, ex-EDU, uh, which is Accelerator. Uh, for ed tech companies and and they are quite brilliant and they they are um, accelerating ed tech companies from all over the world and we are partnering with them and uh, launching this impact round kind of impact acceleration round um, this year and uh, we are developing model together with them where we can support the startups to kind of adopt the sustainable development principles and goals as an in, uh, kind of as an integral part of their the business from an early on. So we are developing kind of sparring model with them. And this, um, this could um, in practice link to the business models because often the companies who have great solutions, they don't originally target developing markets, but they could. And we try to kind of figure out what the business model could be in new markets. And then also how to contextualize their product to new contexts like learning environments like how the people learn in Finland is very different how they learn in Sierra Leone um, and, and kind of identifying also the different learning contexts which could be self-directed or formal or informal classroom based or something else and and what are the needs and, and stakeholders in these different groups so we try to kind of facilitate that kind of contextualization and, and we call it impact design. Can you give an example of maybe a tech partner or, or someone who's created a game or, or a piece of module, you know, a module they might be able to use? Yes. Um, we talked um, earlier about this uh, Open company, and they have developed, uh, it's almost like a preschool for coding. So they have um, developed really great game modules, which are also aligned with the curriculum, in the Finnish curriculum. And, um, and this is also great because um, I think tech can help a lot when new things are brought to curriculums because teachers are also struggling how, how they're going to address this. And coding is one thing that typical um, primary school teacher doesn't know how to code. So, and now they are expected to teach it. So, uh, so they have developed this um, uh, game uh, solutions for uh, actually kids under five. And it's not really um, about coding per se, but it's about uh, programming logic, understanding things like loops. And uh, what I think is fun about their content, they, they product, it's not just um, game alone. 
but they also have these activities, kind of play-based activities. So you don't really need any hardware to learn about programming logic, but you can make it into a game uh, that's fun mm -hmm. for kids and kind of helps them, them to understand the, the key concepts and also for teachers, also for adults. And, and um, so what's fun about this project as well is it's developed for kids, but when adults see it, they also want to play because they also want to understand and I think this is also a good example about the shift that is happening that we kind of have to question the whole teacher-student dynamic because kids are often smarter uh, and better using tech than teachers mm -hmm. and they can actually <laughs> help the teachers to learn. And, um, and also like teachers might somehow sometimes not want to use technology in classrooms because they might be even afraid that, okay, tech's gonna take over their jobs the teachers are not going to need it anymore because we have tech, but which is not the case in my view at all. <laughs> it's just that rethinking the role of the teachers as well and, and enabling um, better learning and better teaching by tech. I know earlier today we had spoken somewhat about uh, frameworks and, and then your approach, some of the models. I don't know if you want to go into some of your thinking about how the, the UN is going to approach technology innovation for learning and what are some of your plans? Oh yes, um, this is an exciting one. And I think we, I can also say here that we are partnering with you as well, with yes, Infosys, which I'm Infosys, really, really yes. excited about. Um, and, um, and this kind of links back to the, what we discussed earlier about uh, empowering every learner. And how does this start? I think it starts with becoming reflective of ourselves uh, what are we like as learners? And I think this should be the first thing for everybody to learn at school or even before we go to school. Like, how do we learn? Um, people learn differently. Some learn by uh, hearing things, uh, some by doing things, some by uh, seeing things. And, and um, so we have this kind of primary way of learning. Um, of course, like your capacity of learning also changes from context to another, but you still have the, your like basic profile, and uh, and this would have helped me a lot in my journey learning if I know how I how I learn. I just um, used to remember that when I was reading something for exams, and then I, I took the exam. I remember that there was this picture on the page where the matter yes. was, but I couldn't remember anything. I just remember the picture. <laughs> so if I had known that I'm actually a visual learner, it would have been so much easier for me to kind of um, tell the teachers how I how I learn. So they could have the supported me. That kinetic connection when you draw something on a page. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, this is kind of a um, uh, idea behind this um, our a project that we are thinking of doing together to empower every learner, and it's about. Um, making a, a standardized framework to identify different learning profiles and um, uh, create a test that everybody can take to understand how they learn better. And uh, ultimately, I think it could create a new industry standard for content developers as well. So anybody in uh, e-learning business could develop their content in a way that uh, it can be customized to... Those individual styles. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. and even the platform—you know, our, our Wingspan platform, which we're, we work with you on—is uh, massively scalable. So you can plug it in and have hundreds or thousands of modules for different industries, for different countries, languages, and filtered through that or contextualized through the um, 
learning profiles that you mentioned so people can be delivered to them, not just in their language, but also in a style that maybe they learn more effectively through. Exactly. And just imagine what kind of impact that could have. And we have this massive issue with the uh, uh, quality of learning and quality of teaching. And this could be one of the key uh, things to solve that, that problem Levels globally. Of yeah. yeah. So we, people are learning better and they're learning more efficiently. Uh, and um, staying more motivated as well when they get better results. So I think this is really, um, really a fantastic thing. We brought up something earlier too, uh, whether it's a displaced group, like could be refugees or, or, or someone that's a group of people who are displaced. It also doesn't have to be quite as dramatic. It can be if people are sick, there's an epidemic or, or even just in other countries, people are sick at home. Yeah. They can still learn even while they're not going to physically in the classroom. Exactly. So like besides the personal learning profiles, I think tech has huge potential in in kind of fixing the learning journeys when they are disrupted by um, uh, epidemics like Ebola in Sierra Leone, for instance. People had to people they couldn't go to school for a long, long time. And and uh, and then it's really difficult to establish a school system as well. Again, when people have been, you know, out uh, for a long time and kind of they their journeys has been, have been distracted already. So we could always have um, a technology to support or like enable continuing learning when people can't go to school, for instance. So, uh, and this is already possible, and, and, but it hasn't been really applied at wider scale yet. You know, it's a similar thing that I see, putting the business head on for a second. It's interesting that a lot of companies do what's called, in fact, I was at a conference in Berlin just a couple of days ago where they talked about proof pilot hell. The idea they were doing all these little pilots and experiments, mm-hmm. but they were calling it hell because they never could get past the pilots. They couldn't get to scale yeah. where they could make the big impact. So how do you see, Tina, going from these pilots and experiments to trying to scale and make that big impact that you dream of? That, that's a good question, and I love your way of thinking. Um, or you always kind of add to everything this at scale. And I think that's how we should think. We should be really ambitious in how we think and we should always design. That's actually one of the the principles for digital design as well. Design, there's other things like design with a user and use open source standards. One is uh, design for scale. Um, and um, that, by the way, if somebody's interested, there is this digitalprinciples.org website where you can find more about these principles that we are also endorsing at the until. Yeah. And many of the things that Tina's mentioning, sorry to interrupt, is uh, we're going to put in the show notes. So a lot of fascinating sources and go to the show notes on the site infosys.com slash IKI in our podcast section and you'll be able to see them. But I just wanted to add actually something to your previous point as well. Um, it kind of links to the scaling up as well. Technology is already exponentially becoming smarter. So I think one of the things we have to think as human beings is that what are we good at? Where are our comparative advantages in relation to technology? And what are the things that we can outsource to technology? And because um, uh, without having this understanding, uh, we are going to focus on wrong skills and wrong skill sets. It's 
really important in this process that we become we have better understanding of ourselves as individuals as learners as well because we have to be really more self-reflective and understand how humans learn and how we learn so we can understand what are the complementary relationships to technology and how we can kind of use tech to become better better learners and and what are the things that we shouldn't be focusing on because technology can do that so this is also kind of thinking um, the future of skills at scale like what are the things that tech can do at scale and what are the things that tech can't do at scale that humans can do and uh, where we kind of what are the skills that we should be focusing on at scale <laughs> what are what are the new foundational skills scaling up should be definitely in uh, every project a component there but I, I don't really like thinking about scaling up because scaling up also people mean different things by that and I think it's really about thinking how do you create value uh, for people for a maximum like maximum value for maximum number of people in different contexts and it's really about on a one-to-one -one basis yeah, yeah exactly so it's not really just about scaling up um, scaling up will happen if you're able to create value for people. So right. that's what we should be. Make it compelling. Yeah, what, what, it, what creates human value uh, and what is aspirational, what drives motivation. Those are the things we should talk about, like human motivation, uh, human incentives, things like that. Because uh, that constitutes, what constitutes value in different contexts and, and cultures and so on, and, and focus on that instead of talking about scaling. Because I think we talk too much about scaling and too little about creating value and and um, and kind of contributing to the realization of SDGs. And if we talk about that, if we create value for planet, for people, for businesses, then those things are going to scale up. As, as businesses think about their bottom line uh, and reporting, whether it's IFRS or GAAP and these financial regulations, very soon there'll be regulations or requirements to report on the impact on the people and on planet uh, for sustainability. Uh, most companies already include some kind of sustainability or governance report. Soon, though, I think it will be required. In fact, you mentioned Finland. I, I believe it already is. Yeah, companies are already reporting about their sustainability, and that's compulsory. And and we don't really have other way. I don't see any other way than that becoming a global standard because we only have one planet for the time being. We haven't we haven't found other Earth, Earths in the universe yet. <laughs> different discussion for different time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe, yeah, maybe you have someone in your network who's working on that. I'm sure you have, but um, it's still a work in progress. So uh, I don't think there's any any other way than uh, making it a standard. And I, I think we also have to drive the, the policy changes and and uh, drive incentives for private sector as well to, uh, to shift um, they um, kind of support them in, in their transition in becoming more aligned with the, with the sustainable development goals and triple bottom line. Yes, yes. <laughs> as people are thinking about how to apply this in their own life or in their own businesses, are there a few recommendations you have on how people can maybe apply learning in their own context? Yes. And first of all, I think this is something, the sustainable development goals, it's not a UN agenda alone. It's everybody's agenda and everybody has a mandate because it's basically all the world leaders from all member countries have come together and, and uh, kind of created a plan, a, a, a roadmap for 2030 and what needs to be achieved. So, uh, and we need everybody on board. This is really ambitious yeah. and uh, agenda. Quick, quick, quick jump in here. <laughs> One recommendation I will make on behalf of Tina here is if you haven't already 
looked at these 17 goals, do so. Number four is education. They're all, all 17 are interesting and important. We're talking mostly today about number four, but just go to the UN, do, do a search, and you'll, you'll, you'll see in a nice graphic them laid out and just think how they can apply. Uh, public service announcement on behalf of you, Tina. But it is important because I think all of a sudden you'll see that everything you do in your business and your life relates to one of the 17. Thank you. That's that's very important. So I hope everybody's doing that, if not now, um, and right after the podcast. <laughs> but I, I think it really boils down to your values as well. Because um, what do you value? That becomes your your thoughts and then it translates in, into your actions as well and that's why I think kind of the whole basis for for the UN's work the sustainable development goals and universal declaration for human rights um, I think those are really beautiful embodiments of the values that the the UN nations share and uh, I think this is also a good starting point for for everybody um, in their own life let's just really think about your values and your impact not just um, within your family, but how you treat yourself, how you treat your family, um, and and then everybody, you know, the environment, other people outside of your immediate circle. And what is your impact there? What is your triple bottom line uh, in your own life? So these kind of these goals, they are quite abstract and ambitious. But um, if you look at the individual targets under them, and, and if you look at the kind of values in the UN mandate and human rights and all that uh, it's for everybody and that's why I think um, we should talk about these things much more because as I said more you talk about it it becomes your thought even if you apply this in a self-interested way most most everyone is negotiating you know they have things they need to get accomplished there's no better negotiating tactic than to appeal to something and fix on something that transcends because you are no longer competing with someone. You can all get behind a common goal. Maybe you have different perspectives, but you can get behind the common goal of education, of, of responsible consumption and production, whatever the goals happen to be. And all of a sudden, those conflicts become more cooperation. So just an, an approach, I think, that also can be embedded into day-to-day -day business. Absolutely. I think you kind of you said it, uh, that there's more perspectives, more diversity, the better the impact. So I think this is also one thing that um, it's not always easy to manage diversity and complexity, but when you manage to do that, you can really create something new, something unique, and create a big impact. Well, we could speak for a long time, and I know it's been a long day already for you, so we'll, we'll close it out. Before we do, I wanted to see who or, or what has been a big influence on, on your career and your life. I think I have to say probably my grandma. I... Again, going back to the farm where I grew up, <laughs> my parents were bus really busy working, so I was I was taking care of my my uh, grandma, and um, you know Finland was still a developing country in the fifties, and we went through the war, and we kind of rose from the poverty really quickly, and and education had a big role in this as well. But she was fantastic; like the things she went through were really hard, <laughs> and they would have broken many uh, many humans but she she just went on and she was always very kind to everything um, and it's just like this being being kind and seeing opportunities and moving forward and never you know feeling sorry for yourself or uh, thinking what you lost but always like looking forward and and appreciating the things you have I think that's just wonderful because all we are is in our thoughts that's what we 
that's what no one can take away from us. And it's really like your life attitude um, that carries you forward. And I think she really taught me a lot about that. So, Wow, everyone, you can find details from, from our discussion with Tina on our show notes and our transcripts at infosys.com slash IKI in our podcast section. Tina, thank you so much for your time and a very interesting discussion and a very important one. You've been listening to the Knowledge Institute, where we talk with experts on business trends, deconstruct main ideas, and share their insights. Thanks to our producer, Catherine Burdett, and the entire Knowledge Institute team. Until next time, keep learning and keep sharing.